The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Uh, This week, we are going to uh, continue in our series called Roots, and so what we're doing is we're exploring the core values of Love City Church. And now, these core values, uh, much like the roots of a healthy tree, they keep us anchored in the fertile soil of the Word of God. They help us not to be blown about and into unfruitful or unhelpful things, and instead it encourages us to hold firm and focused on the things that King Jesus emphasized most. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to John chapter 17? That's where we're going to start this evening. Uh, I I just do want to say that uh, this is not, our core values are not um, a list of Pastor Vince's personal preferences and pet peeves and stuff that I emphasize. The way that we developed these core values was to go through the scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what is it that Jesus talked a lot about. What is it that the scriptures hold high over and over again is to be important for the Christian to understand and obey. And so that's how these core values were developed. Um, and so uh, what we're going to talk about this week is, is our, our fourth core value, which is uh, we believe that there should be unity in the body of Christ. And so uh, I think it's important from the outset uh, to say that unity is not uniformity. Uh, we can be very different in many ways and still be in unity with one another about the things that matter most. Uh, this portion of the scripture here in John 17, this is known as the high priestly prayer. Uh, and that's because if you read it, and I honestly, I would highly encourage you to go back and do it later. It's very encouraging to hear how Jesus prays. Um, but what you'll see if you do that is you'll see that the subject matter of Jesus' prayer is us. And that's why this is the high priestly prayer. Um, in addition, this is also the longest recorded prayer from the master in all of the scriptures. Uh, and it's also a beautiful example of his position as high priest over the new covenant. So I'm not going to take long, but I just want to explain to you why that is, why this is the high priestly prayer and why Jesus is the high priest over the new covenant. In the old covenant, what you had was a place where God's glory literally dwelt. Uh, it was in this inner sanctuary where your average person could not go. And what the high priest would do would, uh, one time a year, he would go in there and make intercessory prayer for the people. So he would come to God as kind of the, the man representative and kind of plead before God and and, uh, offer atonement uh, through the sacrifice of lambs and goats and things of that nature to uh, pay atonement for the sins of the people. And what we see is in the new covenant, Jesus takes that job over and he is the high priest of the new covenant. You'll see that in in Hebrews. You see an example here where Jesus is really just passionately praying to the Father on our behalf. It's also interesting that this is one of the last prayers he prays before Judas betrays him. And so what we're going to see here is what is on the mind of the master just before he's going to be betrayed and go to the cross. That makes me want to pay attention to it. What is on the mind of Jesus Christ in his last few hours on this planet? What is he focusing on? What is is he praying about? What does he care about? Uh, And we're going to see some of that. That will be revealed to us as we read uh, through this prayer. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start in verses 13 uh, through 23, and we'll read those together. And then we'll talk about them. Okay, so I'm in John chapter 17. I'm going to start in verse 13. This is Jesus praying. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have, they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, 
even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Now, um, what some of you may not know, it's, it's kind of a little-known fact, is that uh, Jesus Christ was actually the first rapper in recorded history. Um, and this is one of his most well-known rhymes here, verse 23. You have to read it a little differently, though. It's, kind of, it's more like this. He, he, it would kind of sound like, um, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world will know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. I got a little head bob out of a couple. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus was the first rapper. 50 Cent who? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Rapping the Holy Scriptures. You didn't know it was there. I think stuff like that's why God called me to Bible teach, just to point stuff out like that to you. That's why I'm supposed to teach the Bible. Amen. Your life has been enriched deeply today. Amen. Okay, let's start in verse 13. Uh, what we see Jesus doing here, um, what he says here, it really tells us why he's praying. So he says, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. And so we'll see this, these appeals that Jesus is going to make to the Father. Ultimately, what he's hoping for, ultimately what he cares about is he wants his people to have joy. And we'll see that oftentimes tied to God's glory. We'll see that oftentimes tied to God's purposes, oftentimes tied to his commands. And sometimes our enemy is able to lie to us and get us to separate joy from obedience to God. But they're always, always, always connected. If you can just believe that, then some of the times the things that are hard for you to obey, and if you would see that ultimately from God's perspective that that obedience will lead to your joy, sometimes you have to do that by faith because we're not big enough to see how it connects. How is me obeying in doing this, which is going to be denying what I want to do, how's that going to lead to joy? I don't see the equal sign, but ultimately, if I know that God does, I can walk towards that obedience and then see it as he reveals it. Obedience to God leads to joy. Um, moving on, verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even though, even as I am not of the world. And so uh, increasingly in this culture, we're going to, it's going to be very uh, obvious to us that those of us that believe the Bible is true and that obeying Jesus is right, uh, we're going to stand out. It's going to be clear that we're not of this world, but we're just passing through. Uh, verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Uh, we're called to be in this world, but not of this world. We've got a mission to do. Uh, they are not of the world, even as, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's unpopular today, to even say that there is a truth. Many people would be upset about that. And for us to claim that this word of God is the truth, again, is going to be exceedingly offensive, yet we have to be willing to say it. Because it's one of the most loving things we can say. Even if I was to offend somebody with that exclusionary statement that the word of God is true, even where it disagrees with you, uh, that's me loving them. Because it is true. Because God's right. And anybody that disagrees with him is wrong. 
You excited about that? You upset about it? I'm excited about it. I know he's smart, and that's why I worship him. Amen. Uh, verse 18, it says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I just want to ask you this. Here Jesus is saying clearly to the Father, As you sent me into the world, I'm also sending them into the world. How important was the mission Jesus was sent on when he came to this world? God the Father sent him on a mission I would argue the most important mission that anyone's ever been sent on. Yes? Any disagrees? We'll talk about it later. <clears throat> You're wrong. but um, I would, So here what I'm, what I'm seeing is that Jesus connects the importance of his mission, and, and he, almost, he likens it exactly to the way he's sending us out. And, and honestly, we have the same level of importance in our mission that Jesus did, because ultimately what he did, he did the work at the cross. He accomplished the saving of sinners by uh, dying in our place for our sins and then rising from the grave. So he did the work, but then he entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation, which is to go and to share that good news, that there's hope, that you don't have to be dead in your sins, but that you can trust Jesus and be free. And that's important. The word doesn't get out unless his people do what it is they've been called to do. Unless we joyfully carry that cross that we're called to. Uh, moving on, uh, verse 19 says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And so uh, you may read this and you can see that <clears throat> this prayer starts out, Jesus uh, is focusing on praying for his disciples, his closest men, the guys that he's raised up as leaders to begin to launch out this movement of his church after his death and resurrection. But what we see here is that this prayer is also for us because what he's saying is I'm not, he's, that the those that he's talking about, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. That's the disciples. He's saying, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us. Now, I know you didn't hear Peter preach the gospel that day as recorded in Acts, but we are a part of the gospel influence pinging down from that point. We have believed in the truth of the gospel because of that initial work laid by the church fathers, and so that's gone out through history. We are of those who believe because of their word. And so Jesus is praying for us. I mean, he's coming up to the crucifixion and knows it. Is it not just telling of what kind of savior we serve, that he's not praying for himself, that he's not filling pages with uh, pleading with the Father to give him the strength to handle what he's about to go through in the crucifixion. But what he's concerned with most in the moments before his betrayal is us, his people. It shows us a lot. It's one more reason to love him. Verse 21 Says that they may all be one. So now he's talking about us, both his disciples and all of us that would come behind believing in that good word, uh, the truth of the gospel. It says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the high bar of the call of unity. This this is what Jesus is asking God the Father to help us with. This is what, when we, when we examine ourselves, when we look at our relationships, when we look at our homes and our churches, and we look at the church globally, how are we doing in unity? The bar that is set is not just don't argue or just come just short of killing each other. That's not the picture that's painted. The picture that's painted of what God is wanting out of his people is that we would be in unity in the same way that Jesus is in unity with the Father. That inseparable nature of the triune God. They are in perfect unity. They don't, 
Look, man, there's never a squabble, never a fight. They're on the same mission. They're on the same wavelength all the time, in step, no hesitation. We're going. That's the kind of unity that we're called to. And so what does that do? It sets a really high bar. It it sets perfect unity as the high bar. Are we going to accomplish that on an average day? Eh, Probably not, because we're a bunch of humans with different opinions and mouths. So that can sometimes cause issues when it comes to unity. However, what we should not do is, is shoot short of that high bar. We ought to at least always keep pressing towards what it is the master expressed as his desire for us, is that we would have the kind of unity, the kind of love for each other that God the Father and God the Son have. It's beautiful. It's what we're called to, and we're going to need to lean heavy on the help of the Holy Spirit to get anywhere close to that, aren't we? Because we're selfish by nature. Unity is not our first concern normally. Most of our prayers are not full of pleadings with God to help us to be in unity better with each other. Half the times we're pleading with God to show somebody how dumb they are. (laughs) God, get them. (laughs) Right? Amen. And, and do you see, oh dear ones, do you see, do you see what he does here? He, he says at the end that our unity, that if we can, if we can strive towards and, and continue to walk in the kind of unity that God the Father and God the Son walk in, that the that the result of that will be that the world will understand that God sent Jesus into the world. The fact that we live in unity, the fact that we go counter to what everything natural would tell us, the fact that we would love each other more than we love ourselves, the fact that we would set aside differences and preferences, the fact that we would all not care so much about what I think, but care more about the mission that God has given us. When we do that, it's unnatural and it stands out like light on a hill. That's what Jesus is talking about. We're in the salt of the earth. We're not supposed to run around with salt shakers, hitting people in the eyes with it to get their attention. What, how we get their attention is things like loving each other, things like being in unity to the point that it catches people's attention and it will let them know there's something to this gospel message it's not just people getting together gathering together putting their best clothes on their best face having country club meeting every week those people are doing something they're on a mission apparently it's something that matters because they're willing to care less about what they want and more about being a part of that the world will know that jesus is legit partially because of how we walk together amen you excited about that? I'm convicted by it too. Can I go? I'll go first, and then you can nod your head if you'd like to. Hallelujah, because I don't always do good at this. We must care more about unity than we do our own opinions. We need to care more about unity than we do about being right. We need to care more about unity than our feelings. And we need to understand that our unity is one of the most vibrant proofs that the gospel has the power to change people. It will prove there's legitimacy to the words that we speak, to the words of this, these scriptures. In mentioning the gospel, I just want to take a moment for the sake of those that maybe have not heard this plainly, and uh, for the rest of us just to rejoice in it because it's beautiful. When I say gospel, I mean good news. The gospel is the good news. And, and here at Love City, we have a, a strong conviction that the good news makes little sense without an accurate presentation of the bad news. You've heard that expression, right? Which one you want first, the good news or the bad news? I'm not giving you options. option. You're getting the bad news first, okay? You ready for it? Here's the bad news. God made humankind perfect, placed us on this earth, and we had fellowship with him because God is perfect and God is holy, and the only thing that can be allowed in his presence is perfection. If you've been anywhere near a Bible, you know this part of the story. We didn't stay perfect. We fell We sinned. And from that point on, every man and every woman has been stained by that sin. They've been short of the bar 
of perfection. And so if perfection is required to be in relationship with God, all of us are imperfect, what is that? That's bad news. Because if what is required to be in eternity with God forever when I die is to be in relationship with him, and in order to be in relationship with him, I have to be perfect, and I'm not, I'm in a lot of trouble. And all of us are there. And that's why it's very loving to let people know that bad news. It's very loving to let some people know that, that the Bible tells us our righteousness is as filthy rags. That we, when we think we've done probably just good enough to make it to heaven, we need to understand the Bible knows nothing of that type of language. When the Bible talks about what matters in eternity, it's do you trust in the finished work of Christ. That's the good news. The bad news is bad. And if I left you with that, that you're not good. Here, let me say it this way. Let me really get you upset. You're not good enough to be in eternity with God. How do you like that one? That's fun. Can you imagine going out of here and saying that? I'd do it. I don't, I mean, but I don't mind. That's hard to say, isn't it? And of course, there's more loving ways we can do it, but sometimes that's what needs to be said. I've had to say that in a conversation. Hold on, let me stop you, because they'll give me the long list, right? Oh, I do this and this and this. I'm a part of this, and I've done this thing. Let me, let me just stop you. Let me lovingly tell you, you're not good enough. But it is loving, because we've got to tell them the truth, and that is the truth. Those good works aren't going to get them in right standing with God. But what Jesus did will. And that's why he had to come. That's why he came born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. He was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not sin one time. That's why he got to step in our place. That's why he got to stand in. That's why God would count his death on the cross as justice served, as price paid, and atonement fulfilled, that we could put faith in what he did, and he would count that to us as righteousness. It switched from a system where I would, I would try to work my way back into favor with God, which was impossible anyways, and what we have instead is a system that works on faith. If I will trust in what Jesus did, if I, if I will believe that not only did he die on the cross, but he rose from the grave, and that he ascended to the Father, that I can be saved. I can be rescued from my sins. I can be set free from those things that entangle me and enslave and, and, and me and tend to just keep me entangled in my own selfishness. And so that is the gospel. And that ultimately is, it is our precious jewel. It is the great message we have. Unity would not make sense, nor would it matter if it were not for the gospel. Any chance we have to live in unity together, any chance we have to accomplish a mission in unity with each other, the power of that's going to flow out of the gospel. We'd have nothing to be unified around if it were not for this beautiful message. The gospel is the truth, and it has the power to take people from death to life. Amen. Amen. Thankful for the gospel today. We are going to have to fight for unity. And I know that, that sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but I'm just going to ask you to come on a journey with me here for a moment. I'm going to head to Ephesians 4 here in just a minute. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll read it to you. Uh, either way, we'll go there in just a moment. I just want to let you know that our enemy, the devil, hates unity because he knows how much power is in it. He knows there's a supernatural power to unity, and it's so prevalent and it's so real that it actually will work both ways. If you remember back towards the beginning of Genesis, there's a story called the Tower of Babel, right? So um, the earth is flooded. Noah and his family come off the boat. Mankind begins to repopulate and uh, quickly, again, forget what it is God's told them. Um, they were supposed to go fill the earth and multiply. They decided, no, that's a bad idea. Well, let's all settle in this one plane. And then what we'll do is we'll build a tower so tall that everyone will know we're awesome, right? And so that sin of pride, again, rears its ugly head. And so they begin to work on this project, and we see God say something very interesting. He says, uh, let us, which again is Trinitarian language. He's, 
who's he talking to? He's obviously talking to the other members of the Trinity. Let us go down and confuse their language. Because if we don't, they're going to do whatever they set their mind to. And so we see that God somehow, in the principles he wove into uh, the spiritual world, that unity has a power and it'll work both ways. A bunch of people get together and get really determined to get something done, whether it's good or bad. It's going to happen. There's a momentum that comes in people getting behind a cause and pushing. Have you seen this before? And, and it, can, it can go bad or it can go good. If we could get that going, and so that's what the Satan is always trying to short circuit. He's trying to throw roadblocks in the way of God's people getting that kind of momentum together. Because once you get moving like that, you're like a locomotive, man. You're not stopping without something getting crushed. And that's a good thing. That's what we want. We want that kind of momentum for the gospel. We want to be firing on all cylinders together. We want to be unified around one mission. We want all of our lives to be focused on the furthering of this beautiful gospel message, the building of God's kingdom and meet people meeting Jesus. If we could do that, if we could cast aside the things that oftentimes distract us, the things that you know, convince us, well, my personal agenda is more important than that larger mission, and we could, we could really just push towards that thing together um, our enemies would be defeated and God would be glorified. And so that's, that's our great hope. And I believe that's the hope of King Jesus as well. Um, our flesh also hates unity because it forces us to care more about reconciliation and right standing with others than our own feelings or being right. And so that's not fun. Uh, your flesh doesn't typically enjoy um, denying itself, right? You ever tried to fast before? If you haven't, you should. Just, just skip a meal and... Feel how your body screams at you. And you realize how often we normally are driven by the lusts of our flesh. That our body, and that's the problem, oftentimes we think of ourselves as a body with a spirit. The reality is you're, you're a spirit with a body. The eternal you is the one on the inside. That's the one that matters most. And that's really who should be running the show. Um, but most of the time, you know, we're whipping into McDonald's not because the spirit told us to, right? <laughs> Yeah, and then we're ordering the extra chicken nuggets. Um, that's, that's this guy talking. Um, it's good to deny your flesh, both in diet and in unity. Sometimes it's going to mean you not getting to say what you wish you could say and just saying, you know what, it's more important that I have reconciliation with this person than to keep arguing. That's hard to do. I want to be right. Can I just be, I'll be honest with you. You guys are giving me holy stares like you don't ever feel this way. I like being right. Anybody else in here like being right? I don't like being wrong. I like winning arguments. I feel like I'm pretty good at it typically. And so when, when what is required of me is to quit arguing and care more about unity than my amazingly structured argument, that's not always fun. And sometimes i got to grit my teeth and go pray and ask the Lord to forgive me because I'm, I'm wretched, okay? I, I'm probably the only one here. I just feel that would be a good opportunity for me to confess, okay? Good. Uh, so what are the most common barriers to unity? Uh, you knew I was going to drop this on you. Pride is always in that mix, right? If, if I can do a couple things in my life, convince you to love God and love people and convince you that pride is probably your greatest enemy, I feel like I've done good enough that I can go home and be with Jesus. Okay, so it's going to come up a lot. Uh, clearly, pride stands in the way of unity. Uh, offense is also a common tool of the enemy, which really is just clearly rooted in pride, but we won't, I won't take that apart for you. Offense is a common tool of the enemy to promote discord among God's people. An offense not dealt with leads to bitterness, which is one of the fastest ways to quench the Spirit's work in your life and in the life of the church. Bitterness and offense getting in among God's people will quench the Spirit's work in your life and in the life of the church. 
D.L. Moody was quoted once as saying, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people are divided. That's not a scripture, but I think it's true. You got division and discord sowed in among God's people. If they've not barred the gate and held that out, if they've not stood vigilant against it, if they let it come in, let a fence creep in, let it turn into roots of bitterness in their heart, and now they're backbiting and fighting with each other more than fighting with the real enemy, very quickly that will steal momentum. That's like sticking a stick in somebody's spokes. Um, I did that when I was a kid. It's never good. <laughs> so um, don't let your kids do that. It's really mean. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, Let's be honest, sometimes we feel justified in being offended. Um, if you go to Matthew 18, you'll see this story. It's, it's honestly really comical. I think sometimes we miss the humor along with um, the, the rap rhymes in the Bible. Um, but in, in Matthew 18, you see Peter, he comes up to Jesus and he says, Master, how many times should I forgive somebody in one day? Up to seven times? Right? And so he's, clearly he's thinking Jesus is just going to pat him on the Son, I can't believe you'd... Forgive someone seven times in a day. You are spiritual. Great job. And of course, what does Jesus do? He blasts him, puts him on blast like he, like he does to us all the time. And so he says, Peter, let me tell you something, son. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. You should forgive someone 70 times seven. And so sometimes the problem is, so we read that. I'm like, okay, so I should just forgive quick. But then sometimes we could feel like, you know, well, so what is Jesus saying there? Is that is that literal? You know, because 70 times 7, that's 490. So if I get to 491, do I then get to just hammer people? Do I, can I start throat chopping away? Um, here's the deal. If any of you were offended 490 times in one day, we need to find a mirror. Because it might not be the other people that's the issue. Right? Nod your head. Yeah, that's true. Maybe I'm easily offended. Maybe I'm a little oversensitive. Maybe I'm looking to get offended. Um, <clears throat> that was fun. Okay, so uh, that, that can be a problem. And, and just, please, you just please listen to me. If, if we would all just stop as soon as we realize that we are mad or offended with someone and we would pray and ask God to give us just a fraction of the mercy and patience he has had with us, we would be twice as effective on our mission immediately. This is why unity is one of our core values. This is why I've got to talk to you about loving and forgiving each other. Listen to me. If I haven't offended you today, I'm surprised. It's going to happen. And as our church grows and as we continue on mission, you're going to add more people. That's more potential for offense. We have to guard the gate against that. And it starts with each one of us understanding that we are, that we are under attack all the time in this way. Any time our enemy can sow discord among us, can get us out of unity with each other, he understands he's going to slow down what it is God's doing with us as people, and so he's going to do it. We have to guard against it. Each of us has to be vigilant. I can't really watch your heart, but you can. So please, don't be quick to be offended. Don't be quick to be angry, and if you do get that way, then be quick to forgive. Because let's be honest, Jesus has forgiven all of us of a lot. Has he not? Let's follow him in that then. Let's extend mercy the way he's extended mercy. Let's be patient with each other the way he's been patient with us. Has he been patient with you, dear one? He's been real patient with me. Real patient. I'm thankful. I told you to turn to Ephesians 4, and I got excited about being in unity with each other, and I forgot. So uh, here we go. Won't take long. Galatians, here it comes. Okay. I'm in Ephesians 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Okay? 
if you don't know what I'm doing yet, what I'm doing, I'm closing all the loopholes on you, okay? Because what I realize is your tendency is going to be to try to wiggle away out of this because unity's not fun, forgiving's not fun, holding grudges seems like it feels better because it seems like somehow I'm winning when really you're losing. Um, and so I'm going to close up all the loopholes on you and we're going to see, uh, I believe we're going to see an increase in our effectiveness for God's glory because of this truth right here. Okay, verse, uh, I'm in chapter 4 of Ephesians, starting in verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, it's a good word, humility, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just also as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, so here's what I want you to see there. First of all, he calls us, this is, this is so good. He says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, with which you have been called. And so pretty much he's saying, you've been called to be a Christian. That means a Christ follower, a disciple of Christ. And so, first of all, he's calling you up to, he's calling you to abandon whatever standard you've set in your mind and understand that because you call yourself a Christian, there is a manner that is, that is worthy, considered worthy as far as walking after the master. And it's, he is our high bar. He is the, uh, the high mark of, of what we're looking to, to follow. And so we want to walk in a manner worthy of being called a Christian, of being associated with someone so wonderful as Jesus Christ. I want to walk in a manner worthy of that. I don't want to make him look bad. I know I will some days, but I want it to be less and less. Amen? And he, so, so he says, walk in a manner worthy uh, the way that which, in which you've been called. And, so, and then he starts to spell that out. Here's some of what that's going to look like. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, the, the Bible that I'm reading out of, that I teach out of generally, is the New American Standard Bible. The NIV renders this verse a little bit differently, and, and rarely do I like it better, but I think it helps understand the point. Verse 3 in the NIV says, uh, make every effort to preserve the unity of the bond of peace. And so what that does is I, I, I think clearly it saddles us each with an individual responsibility for unity. And so sometimes what happens when conflict arises is we're always waiting for the other person to go first, right? Well, they're the dumb one. Couldn't be me. They're the one that did something offensive. And so they should repent and grovel at my feet until I decide that they're contrite enough, and then I'll issue them forgiveness. And we like that feeling because it makes us feel like we're in power over them. Here's what Jesus did instead of that path that we normally take. Hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying, he looks down at the ones that just nailed him there and says, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Had those guys even asked Jesus for forgiveness yet? No, right about that time, they were still casting lots for his clothes. He had compassion on him. He forgave him. He loved you before you loved him. He sought after me before I sought after him. He cared about reconciliation with us. And we need to follow him in that. We need to care about reconciliation with each other. 
So let me hear you say this. Repeat after me. I know sometimes I catch you off guard. I want you to repeat after me, Love City. You ready? Unity is my job. Go ahead. It's your job. It's your responsibility. Quit pushing off on everybody else. You are a Christian, so you are called to fight and stand and care about unity. Okay? Amen. If you were bored and you didn't have anything else to do, now at least you got one job. Guard against discord and fight for unity in every situation. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called the children of God. Amen. Okay, um, I think we've made a pretty solid case for the importance of unity uh, and to let us all know that we are responsible to work towards it uh, individually and collectively. Uh, And at Love City, we identify three areas we want to see love and unity win and pride and discord lose, okay? And so these are in subsequent order. Um, They kind of got to go in this order or else they won't work. So the first place that we want to see unity is in our homes, okay? So at at the smallest level, of human relationship in our individual families and homes, we need to have unity. And uh, we're not going to have unity anywhere else if we don't have it in our homes first. And I just want you to know that very often I pray for you. Very often I pray over your homes and I ask the Holy Spirit literally to anoint the threshold of the place where you lay your head at night, that when you walk into that place, that God's peace rests there. I pray for you that his presence is there, that your home is a sanctuary of his presence and his peace, that it's not a place where there's constant tension. And if it is, then then join me and join my faith and you begin to pray and ask God that his peace would flood in that place, that it would, it would, that would be a place where you can come and rest in his presence. It's hard enough out here in this world, is it not? We should be able to come to our homes and find peace and rest in his presence. Uh, This obviously pertains as well to marriages. We have to guard our marriages. We need to have unity in our marriages. You guys got to figure out what are we doing? We're serving Jesus together. We're raising these kids if we have them. We're doing this life together. All right, let's let's stay on that. Anything that's going to come in and try to draw away or detract from that, we're going to put that down and we're not going to care about it. We're going to keep pushing forward for the mission that we have together. Have you sat down, husbands, and talked with your wives about what the vision for your family is? Have you laid out a blueprint? Do they know where you're headed? That'll help. Ladies, would it be hard for you to hear your husband do that? Take that leadership role. Pray and ask for help from God because that's the way it should look. You men should be the gatekeepers and shepherds over your home. You should lead your family spiritually. You happy about that or sad about it? I don't really care either way, but I wish you're happy about it. That's the way it should be. You're the one, honestly, I'm praying over you because I'm, I'm one of the shepherds over this house, and I love your family, but you should be praying right alongside me. The devil stays out. God's presence stays in. That unity reigns in your home. That's what I want for you. Um, And Some of you might feel left out of that. Um, Some of you might still be living at home. You don't feel like you have your own space. Some of you are still singles. Um, You're you're not married yet. And I would just say to you, you you have an incredible opportunity to have a greater flexibility to go out, to be in more places, to minister in more uh, spheres of influence. And I would just encourage you, just go be a peacemaker everywhere. Take the peace of God with you everywhere you go. And don't, don't let yourself get depressed because, you know, somebody else's expectation or, or even your own was that your relational status would be different at this point. Rejoice in the gift of singleness if that's where you're at and make every single second count. Because I promise you, there is great joy in being married. There is great joy in having children. But it does change things. 
It does limit you. Paul was clear about that. Now, part of my primary mission is to minister to my wife and my kids, but I can't go and do as much as I used to do. And so what the devil wants you to do is sit and mope and cry about being single instead of, and, and keep you nullified through that whole period of your life when you could have some of your most fruitful and effective ministry for the kingdom. I don't mean to offend you or sound insensitive about it. I love you. And um, the fact that you're single is not a curse, okay? And it's not because God's mad at you. Make the most of it, okay? Is that all right? I love you either way. I mean, if you're mad at me and offended, I just spent a bunch of time telling you how to get over it. So go ahead, all right? Just forgive me. I'm a dumb hillbilly. Sometimes I say harsh stuff, okay? So there you go. Um, so in our homes, we want to see unity. We believe that's important. That's where it starts. We're not going to have unity in the next couple places we're going to talk about unless it starts first in our homes. Please be vigilant and guard unity in your homes. Declare that it's going to be there. Pray in faith. Ask God for God's help. It's not going to be easy. You're not just going to walk from here and say, okay, yeah, that was a sermon on unity. That's important. I should have that in my home. It's just going to be magic wand poof. It's going to be work. You're going to have to war for it. You're going to have to care about it, think about it, and ask God, uh, for God's help in it. But it's worth it. Because there's, you know, Proverbs says funny stuff. It's like, uh, it'd be better for a man to live on a corner of his roof than to be in a house with a quarrelsome wife. Um, it might sound like it's being hard on the wives there, but the bottom line is it's a lot more fun to live in a house with unity and peace than it is a house full of contention and strife. True or false, I mean, that's pretty simple arithmetic. Um, and the only way we're going to have that is by God's grace and the power of his gospel. If not, then we're always going to be looking for our own perspective to be raised up to the highest prominence and for us to get our way, and that leads to strife and not unity. But the gospel makes us humble. It should. Uh, okay, so the next place we want to see unity, first in our homes, next we want to see it in our church family. Um, if the devil can't get into our homes individually and come and sow discord there, you better believe he's going to come and try to sow discord in here among us. He's going to try to get people frustrated. It takes a lot to, even at the size that we are, and we're, we're growing through the summer, we're feeling some of those growing pains. As a matter of fact, this is a good place I, I meant to announce at the beginning, um, and, and I didn't do it. Our, uh, our children's discipleship classes are growing uh, incredibly fast, and that's a really cool blessing. It does cause us to have good problems, though, one of which is we really need some more teachers. And so I would just ask everybody to pray about uh, whether or not God might uh, give you the anointing and the gifting to help us disciple our kids. Um, it's not daycare back there. Uh, what we're doing every week is sowing the gospel into them. It's really fun for me. Next couple days after service, take Lucy and Max on a walk. I get to talk to Lucy about what she learned in class. They're teaching real stuff back there. They're learning verses, and it's really cool. And so if you could help us be a part of that, please see Juliet Boostrom or anybody that helps in the sign-in table. Or if you don't know who any of those people are, just grab an usher or anybody that looks like they might know what they're talking about and let them know that you could potentially help us with children's discipleship because we need help with that, okay? Uh, but the devil doesn't want you to do that. He actually wants you to get offended about something else that happened over here and think, I'd never help and serve in there. Right? He wants you to have a bad attitude. He wants to sow discord and cut unity off so that we're not more concerned with the mission. We're not more concerned with pouring the gospel into our kids so that we can have a good legacy that goes forward. Um, he wants us to cut that short and be more concerned with how I feel today uh, or that I got offended last week and so now I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, I think part of what would help us with this is to understand the Bible many times compares this to a family. Now, clearly, the, the dynamic is different than, you know, the, the you know, 
two parents and a kid or a couple kids uh, up to several children that you have in one home. We got a different dynamic here because there's just more people, but we are still called to relate to each other as a family does. And I would just say to you that um, oftentimes we don't do that or we only do it when it's convenient. Oftentimes we get upset or offended. All that family language goes away and we start you know, wanting to jump ship or do something crazy or back away. Um, but the reality is, if that's the way your family dealt with stuff, I'm sorry, but that wasn't right. Because here's how families should deal with stuff. Like, for example, me and Ryan growing up, Ryan's my little brother. Uh, side note, he's at the hospital right now. They're having a baby, so pray for them. It's really cool. Um, yeah, amen. Baby Shane will be here hopefully today. Um, so when we were growing up, though, um, I kind of feel like I was robbed a little bit. We never got to get in any good fist fights because he was always so dang fast. Um, I was big and slow, but man, he was quick. And so I couldn't get a hold of him most of the times. But there was often times as brothers where we wanted to whoop each other or, you know, we were at each other's throat or whatever. Anybody have siblings? You know what I'm talking about. You fight when you're with family. Yeah, sometimes it happens. You get frustrated with each other. Um, but here's, here's the difference. We might fight and squabble. I think I maybe got a hold of him one time. Minimally, I was chasing him around the block, uh, you know, or, or whatever, back and forth. We're, we're at each other. But at the end of the day, if it came down to it, um, we might have wanted to beat each other up, but, but nobody else better ever, ever touch my brother. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? It's weird. I'd whoop him, but don't you touch him. Right? And so, like, for example, um, and we, we really kind of got along pretty good, but um, there, was, there was this one time where I had first moved uh, from California to Illinois, and it was quite a uh, culture shock from, like, L.A. to a town of 4,000 in Illinois. So they didn't really know what to do with me, and I didn't know what to do with them. So the first few months was really interesting, and um, I spent the first couple months running from large groups of guys that were, you know, meeting me after school. So I had a pretty good route I can get away from, but it was snowy, and so one day it was, it was slowing me down a little bit, and they were gaining on me, and uh, Ryan had come up from the elementary school. He's a few years behind me, and, and he kind of saw what was happening, and of course, the guy was so fast, so he caught up to us, but on the way, he scooped down and got a snowball, and the whole time he's running, he's, you guys ever packed a real good snowball? This kid made an ice ball. I'm talking, this was not a snowball anymore, and so he packs this snowball that is just like a pure rock of ice. And he had a good arm, too. And so he, he got out ahead, cut an angle, and got to the side. And he chucked this snowball at the guy closest to me, hit the dude in the ear, ruptured his eardrum. Guy's falling down, bleeding out of his ear. Ryan's small anyways. He's in elementary school, so everyone's laughing at this guy. Oh, that little kid just smoked you with a snowball. So, um, story, and, and there's many stories like that. When he was a, he was a freshman, I was a senior. So, um, you know, we may get into it on the way to school, but... By the time we got to school, man, nobody messed with Ryan. They knew that's Vince's little brother. You should not touch him. You know, that's just the way it was. We were for each other. We protected each other. We might get at each other every once in a while. And in the middle of the family dynamic, there might be a little bit of tension. But at the end of the day, I got your back. That's the way we should be. Listen, you, in, in, the, in the chaos that sometimes ensues in trying to organize this many people into one mission, sometimes you're going to bump into each other. Sometimes you're going to step on each other's feet. Sometimes somebody's going to frustrate you. Sometimes somebody's going to have an off day, and they're going to say something that maybe they shouldn't say. They're going to say, well, that wasn't very Christian. Well, okay, well, let's just wait till the day you're frustrated, right? And how would you like to be treated on that day? Would you like to be given some grace and forgiven quickly, or do you want everyone to jump on you, right? We got to remember that. We got to care about unity. And ultimately, um, 
even though, even though uh, we may have days where there's tension, we may have days where we got to work through stuff, honestly, we're family. And the kind of family we are, is, it really should be stronger than biology, because we're tied together with, with the blood of Christ, which is much stronger than the blood that flows through our own veins. We're tied together by the gospel, a message that's going to matter for eternity. And uh, we've lashed our lives together on this mission, and so um, we just, we got to treat each other that way. Amen? we got to live like a big family. Forgive each other quick. Look out for each other. Um, the third way that we should see unity, so we should see it in our homes, we should see it in our church locally, and really we should see it in the church globally. Um, and that has a lot to do with just the way we think about other Christians. Um, the reality is that every person that has put faith in the finished work of Christ for salvation throughout all of history and all of the world uh, belongs to one large family. That's the church. And um, oftentimes, Satan has been able to really cut the legs out from under uh, the church of God by getting us to spend more time arguing with each other about things that don't matter than about holding up high King Jesus that does matter. And so that's really unhelpful, and it's unfruitful. And that's why you won't see me. Maybe you've been other places, and you'll, you'll see a pastor get up and, and kind of um, cut down other denominations or talk bad about other churches. Um, you'll never see that here. Because if somebody is on Team Jesus, I'm on their team, and I hope that they're doing well. If they're telling about people about Jesus, I want them to win, because I want as many people as possible to know him. And so we should care for and pray for each other uh, in, in, in the church at large. Again, I will call your attention to the fact that uh, we are meeting in someone else's church building. That means that Grace United Methodists, the, the people that actually own this building, they really care about the gospel going forward because they're not concerned about maybe you know, slight differences in doctrine or ministry philosophy. We do some things different than the way they do. At the end of the day, they don't really care. They knew that there was this church that was losing the space they were in and that they had space we could use. They said, hey, come over here. And we said, hey, hallelujah, here we come, right? Because we were looking at all the big trees in town to see which one we could meet under. And uh, so that's beautiful. Just the very fact that we meet here is a beautiful picture of gospel unity in the church at large. And we want to do even better at that. We want every church in, in Cincinnati that loves Jesus, we want to figure out how we can join arms with them and help them. We want to pray for the church Globally, uh, the fact that we should have unity in God's church um, all the way across the planet should cause us to care about things like what's going on in Iraq right now. I will call your attention to that. Um, I, I'm seriously concerned if you can hear of um, people's children being beheaded because they are Christians. Uh, if that doesn't hurt you, then you may not be a part of the church. That should bother you. It should cause you, honestly, I, the other night, you know, I had heard a little bit about it, but I really just started to look into it, and I, I found this article. Uh, Natalie and the kids were in bed, and I began to read what was, what was actually going on, and I, I, I sat there for several minutes and just wept as I read that there's brothers and sisters in Christ that they're being given the option, you can flee here, you can convert to Islam, or we will kill you right now. That's real, and that's happening right now. So there's, that should do two things for us. It should cause us to desperately and authentically pray for them. In the midst of sitting there weeping, I went through a whole range of emotions. My first, because it's my default and my sinful tendency, was anger. 
So I'm first thinking, okay, how can I get weapons on a plane to get over there and start trying to equal out the playing field? That's stupid. Okay, so let's, we'll get past that. And then, and then I felt sadness, but very just tense towards those people that are the enemy. And then God began to speak to me about Paul, that Paul was a Christian killer. And Jesus came and dealt with him. So by the end of it, I'm sitting there on the couch crying, and I'm praying for these guys that are killing my brothers and sisters. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that our brothers and sisters there, as they stand and they have uh, love in their hearts and clear joy in their face as they face death, I'm hoping that that reaches into the heart of those persecutors, that they come to know Jesus. That's ultimately the right way for us to think about it. It's hard. Because I want to whoop anybody that's, that's hurting brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's my natural sinful tendency. But the right thing is for us to pray. I, I'm praying that there be revival in Iraq because our brothers and sisters there are standing strong and, on, and, and they're doing well under persecution. Our church has flourished historically under persecution. And so uh, though it's tragic and it's terrible, children are suffering in the midst of it. Um, we just need to pray that God will be with them, provide for them, and that his will will be done. Ultimately, it's really hard to see right now. How does that lead to his glory? But that's what I desire out of it. That's what I hope for. And he's able to do that. I do know that much. Amen? We should pray for the church globally. They're not the first ones to be persecuted. It happens in many countries all the time. It just doesn't always get its way up to the news. Um, I would encourage you to constantly pray for those that are suffering simply because they're Christians. Uh, and also, you're not guaranteed that there won't be other people in the world praying for us at some point um, as the culture continues to grow more and more uh, angry and against the God of the Bible. Um, there's no use for denominational schism. I don't mean that denominations are bad. I just mean we shouldn't argue with each other. Um, we call ourselves non-denominational here. Some people, they have various reasons why they believe that is. Ultimately, it's because I think names other than Christian or disciple of Christ oftentimes can just lead to separation. And I think we should work together. I think we should, every single person that loves Jesus, we should get in the same boat and start rowing. Because there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of people that don't know. There's a lot of people that have not heard this beautiful gospel. Um... And so our mission is big, and it's really important. And we'll be better at it if we're in unity with each other, in our homes, and with every person that belongs to Jesus. Amen? Amen. May we be a people marked by unity. May we be a part of the answer to King Jesus' prayer when he asked God that we may be one as he and the Father are one. May we walk in a manner worthy of bearing the name of Christ. May selfishness, offense, and discord not even be named among us. May we be quick to forgive, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. May we have the joy that our Savior prayed we would have as we walk in unity together. And may these things lead to the world acknowledging that the power of the gospel really does change men and women. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, first we just, we need to confess. We need to confess our tendency not to care more about unity than our personal preference. But Lord, we're asking for your help to change that. We're asking for the help of your Holy Spirit to remind us when it's hardest 
to care less about being right and more about reconciliation. We need your help, Lord. I see, King Jesus, you pleading with the Father, praying that prayer, caring that we would have joy, asking that we would have joy as we walk together on this beautiful mission of building your kingdom. And you prayed that as we do that, that the world would see the way we love each other. The world would see the way we forgive each other. The world would see the way that we put down what's important to us to join together with other people and care about what's most important. That that would shock them. That that would open up their heart. It would give us opportunities to preach your gospel. Lord, please let the unity of Love City Church, let it, let it cause shock in those around us. Let it cause them to stop and ponder what is different about those people. How is it they work together like that? Please let us care more about the things that matter most than the the things that so often distract us. Lord, we need your help in this. Thank you for allowing us to repent for the fact that we don't often do it. Let us care about unity in our homes, Lord. I pray for every person within the sound of my voice that the threshold of their door would be anointed with your peace, that as they step into their home, God, that your holy presence would be tangible and real there. Lord God, that your word would be read there, that prayers would be prayed there. Lord, that songs of worship would be sung there and that your people would live together in unity. I pray for every husband and wife, Lord God, where tension and contention has already come and driven a wedge between them and their marriage. God, I ask that that men of God would rise up, that they would see that, and they would be the shepherds they're called to be, that they would have a backbone, and they would stand against the enemy, and they would pray for their homes, and that they would lead their homes in unity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for calling us to not live selfish lives. Thank you for calling us, Lord, to love you like you've loved us, to be patient with others like you've been patient with us, to love each other and be in unity with each other. May this all be for your glory. That's what matters most. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.